going to tease that out a lot more right now, but we are going to over the course of the course. So Abraham. Um, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God's initiative to lead Abraham suggests that he is intending to deal with the problem created in Genesis 1 to 11. And these are the verses. These are the verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, he's Abram at this point, he gets to be Abraham a few chapters later. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, remember, Ur, uh, way down in the, on the Euphrates, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who curses you, I will curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall find blessing. I'll just lay that out in another way. You've got God's call. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. His promise. He makes three promises. I'm going to make you a great nation, which is the aspiration of an oriental king. So uh, I, I will bless you. Uh, blessing in the Old Testament has to do with um, wealth, uh, size of family, uh, uh, prosperity and uh, well-being. Um, and it, interesting, uh, I will bless you connects the story of Abraham with other stories in Genesis. You might remember the creation of Adam and Eve, and God blessed them. So one of the main things God does, actually, one of the main things, uh, if God had a, had a job description, very near the top would be blessing. Um, he blesses, um, he blesses uh, Adam and Eve, he blesses Noah after the flood, um, and then he blesses Abraham's descendants as well. Uh, the text talks about blessing Isaac and Jacob and so on. So in that, it, it's a literary way, if, if, if you like, that connects the story of Abraham with who comes after and also with who went before. Uh, and I will make your name great. Now that's interesting just in light of the story we just had with the Tower of Babel, where people were doing this to make a name for themselves, now uh, we're, we're getting the, the story that if anyone's going to have a great name, it's God who gives it. Okay. And the result will be is that you will be a blessing. That is, you will be a, you, the, the, the blessing that comes to you will overflow to others. Uh, there will be God's protection. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And the ultimate purpose is that in you, all the families of the earth shall find a blessing. Okay, so that's fairly grand. 
Um, does that seem unreasonable? Well, remember what we were just saying a few minutes ago about the, uh, the influence that Israel has had in the world uh, in comparison to Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and so forth. So um, it might not be all that um, crazy, I thought. But uh, the point is that the call of Abraham, the purpose is more than establishing a nation. It's establishing a nation so that the blessing will go to others. Okay. Now that's really important because um, you don't always see that in the Old Testament, but you sure do in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Now, as we read in Genesis, there are problems. Problems for Abraham and his descendants. As we read into chapter 12 um, of Genesis, we find out that they have no children. Abraham and Sarah have no children. It's obviously an obstacle to becoming a great nation. Uh, a famine threatens the promise from the very beginning. Uh, they go down into Egypt, and Abraham offers Sarah, his wife, to the king of Egypt in order to preserve his well-being. <coughs> and we're wondering just where's this promise going that God gave to Abraham? In chapter 14 of Genesis, there are hostilities with neighboring people that draws Abraham into battle. Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands by using their maid Hagar in order to, for Abraham to have a son. But the promise was to Abraham and Sarah. When Sarah does have a son, Isaac, his life is soon threatened by a test in which God challenges Abraham to sacrifice him. And again, in the background, we're asking, where's this promise going? How is God going to fulfill this promise? There are all these obstacles that seem to be in the way. And the problems continue when we get to Abraham's descendants. Uh, Isaac's son Jacob receives the blessing from his father by trickery and has to flee for his life from his brother Esau. Mm -hmm. So he's outside the, the uh, promised land. Jacob had 12 sons who have their own moral issues. Uh, you remember the story, of course, of the um, problem that the 11 had with Joseph, uh, the next to youngest, and they sell him off into Egypt. Uh, Jacob and his family, in fact, are forced to move to Egypt to escape famine, and there they all die. Um, so, again, these are obstacles. Uh, Do you have any questions in the blessing? <laughs> yeah, 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 we're. So, uh, but, but by the end of the book of Genesis, we have, um, we have all of Abraham's descendants in Egypt. Uh, Abraham has inherited very little of 
mm -hmm. uh, the lamb. Mm -hmm. He has a small plot where he's buried. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're wondering where the fulfillment of this mm -hmm. promise to Abraham that he's going to be a blessing to all nations, how is this going to come about? Okay. Well, here it is. <laughs> End of the book of Genesis. We still cannot see how the promised Abraham will be fulfilled. The descendants are a questionable character, no longer living in Canaan. The story that develops is not one of heroes, but one of God fulfilling his promise against all odds. So let's go on then to the Exodus. Let's look at this in a bit more detail. Uh, Moses appears on the scene, and in a sense, he recapitulates the story of Abraham. He starts from outside the Promised Land and comes to the Promised Land. So he's he, he's re. Um, the, the story of Moses is in some ways a retelling of the story of Abraham in that sense. So he leads people from a foreign land to God's promised land. Moses has obstacles to overcome. Of course, his life was threatened from birth. Um, Pharaoh did this thing like what Herod does around the Christmas story of um, not wanting any of the Jewish boys to live. Mm -hmm. uh, so his life is threatened by birth, and he has to flee from Egypt. Uh, so there's a story about him killing one of the taskmasters, and then he has to run away. Challenge, uh, uh, and then we have um, God's call of Moses, and he is called to go and confront Pharaoh. And you have the story of the ten plagues. Uh, and the challenge between Moses and Pharaoh is essentially a challenge between the God of Moses and the gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh. The underlying question in this challenge, as demonstrated by the various plagues, is who controls creation? Who controls human life? So the story is that they, they start with some um, various miraculous things. The Nile is turned into blood, and there's a swarm of frogs and so forth. And for the first uh, three plagues, uh, it turns out that the Egyptian magicians can do the same thing. But they can't do the ones after that. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a confrontation between the powers, not just Moses and, and Pharaoh, but it's the God of Moses versus the gods of Egypt. Who, who controls life? Okay. Uh, we get out into, uh, oh, we, we, Across the Red Sea. I didn't do a slide on the Red Sea. Someone read this there, sorry. Uh, we should have done that one. Uh, but we get to Mount Sinai, 
And uh, the very significant, uh, uh, we're going to get the law on uh, Mount Sinai and so forth. And just before we get to the passage about the giving of the law in the book of Exodus, we get this text. Uh, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, some very significant things here. Uh, God defeated the Egyptians, and he bore his people through the wilderness. Uh, and now the Israelites are to be obedient. We're going to get the law in just a minute. But then there's some very significant things that are said at the end here. You shall be my, my own possession among all peoples. So of all the peoples in the, in the world, you are my possession, he says. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what's interesting there is, of course, there is a role for priests. But here he's saying, God is saying, the whole, the whole country is going to be priests. It's going to be a priestly country. You all play the role of, of priest uh, and are holy. In what sense? In what sense is, is, is Israel as a whole a priest? Well, as a priest, because all the earth is mine, says God. So just like the priest in the temple is um, representing God to the people, so Israel is playing the role of priest to the nations. So it's, it's a calling. So Israel as a nation has a vocation. Okay. Now we go back and remember the, uh, the words to Abraham. Uh, All the world will be blessed through you. Now we say, okay. So that's the point that's coming to expression this way now that the nation of Israel is that there is a purpose to be a priest and what do priests do? They bless. They bless. Right. It's only a few times that you get these glimpses in the Old Testament but you can see how they're going to be really, really important when we get to the New Testament mm -hmm. and the vision really does go out to the nations. Any questions? Is that okay? Okay. So, um, well, it's purpose for it. Well, we still have obstacles. Uh, obstacles uh, to Israel fulfilling its vocation. People are complaining. <laughs> we 
we don't have things like we what we had in Egypt. Do you remember what you were doing in Egypt? <laughs> you were trying to get away. Uh, uh, and while waiting for Moses to come back to the mountain, of course, the people make idols. This isn't looking promising, but it's part of the story. thinking this <clears throat> this whole business when having had a family who left an unpleasant situation and came to Canada you know it, it's a, a parallel here in a lot of ways yeah yeah he came from I mean, my, my dad then we left Austria just before the first world or the Austria Prussian war or whatever and uh, and just and, and wanting to keep some of that old country culture uh -huh. that they that we see around the the Christmas table, the, the yeah. different things mm -hmm. from the old sure. country that they would serve at different things. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. crossed my mind. Bit of an empty void there. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a side step. Uh, um, this story of the exodus and uh, journeying for 40 years and coming into the promised land becomes something of a paradigm that gets used again and again in scripture. The paradigm of how God saves his people. And there's these elements, slavery in Egypt, miraculous deliverance through the Red Sea, receiving of the law at Mount Sinai, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land. And prophets, for example, can refer to part of the story. But this is the national story that, that gives identity. Um, and it's a story that will inform, uh, to some extent, uh, understanding of salvation in the New Testament. It's, it's when there's such a prominent uh, demonstration of God saving his people how do you understand in the future uh, God saving his people well you do so in terms of what you know like if you're looking forward to God saving his people uh, a prophet is looking forward to it. How does he articulate that? Well, the language that he has to articulate that is the paradigm that you already got uh, with, with the Exodus. Uh, so, for example, coming back from Babylon um, is sometimes depicted as a second Exodus. You feel no hope. There's no way. And yeah. you figure what God took them to. We can not knowing these stories, we can look back and go, okay, well the world right now look may look hopeless. Right. You know, and ask, well, hey, if God could do that, <laughs> That's you know, exactly right. He could pardon the waters and the twenty thousand no, people right. go through. And he can certainly take care of some of the stuff that's going on now. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's helpful just having that as a reference. Yeah, it absolutely is.
So I can't help but wonder what this does to the psyche of is the Israelites considering themselves a chosen people and you know like I think about the Americans with their manifest destiny you get that overblown oh, yeah. sense of who you are oh, yeah. as a person even or as a nation or, yeah. you know like well you can draw parallels with what's happening in the world today with some leader. Yeah. What does this do to their attitude towards other people, other nations? Or well, it's going to be some of the some of the challenge uh, that some of the prophets are going to take up. For example, the book of Jonah. Um, uh, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, mm -hmm. foreign country, mm -hmm. right? And the end of the, and of course he doesn't want to go, and, uh, but the end of the story is that God cares for Nineveh, right? That, that, so that's the correction that that story is headed towards, mm -hmm. and it's of course told because there's some of the thinking that what, of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and indeed, when we get to the end of the Old Testament, um, there's going to be much more of a an exclusive, uh, exclu exclusivist uh, mentality. Um, we'll get to that when we talk about Ezra, for example. Uh, and they actually send people away. They break up marriages and they send people away. Uh, so because we need to maintain our own identity and so forth. So yes, it, it's, it's an issue to navigate. Mm -hmm. So you've got the calling, uh, but it's also an issue to navigate in terms of, um, well, are you being a blessing? Mm -hmm. um, versus are you maintaining your own identity by keeping others away. And you can see sociologically how, how the two uh, um, often come into play. And really, people do say, are you a blessing or are you cursed? Okay, uh, paradigm, uh, promise, oh yes, the promise of blessing and curses. Uh, so this is really important. Um, we might end with this. Uh, the end of the book of, uh, book of Deuteronomy, uh, beginning in chapter 20, 28. Uh, blessings if the Israelites keep the covenant. So uh, Deuteronomy <coughs> is wrapping up the story. And you get this. Uh, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the fruit of the ground, the fruit of the beasts, your, your beasts, the increase of your cattle, the uh, young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading trough. Blessed shall, be when, shall you, you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you 
you one way and flee before you seven ways. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, so the idea is you, if you're obedient to uh, the stipulations of this covenant, which is you know, the book of De Deuteronomy, this is what will happen. God will bless you. However, they will be cursed if they disobey. Uh, so just go on, uh, actually a bit before and a bit after, in uh, Deuteronomy, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, then all these curses shall come upon you. And it's essentially the opposite of all the blessings. Cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the field, cursed shall be your basket, your kneading trough, cursed be the fruit of your body, the fruit of the ground, the increase of your cattle, the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Right? Okay, so, hey, there's obedience and disobedience. There's blessing and there's cursing. Okay. It's, it, it's interesting yeah. to me that when I think about like our current our current world, there's this <coughs> there is this sort of theme within Christianity that if you're a Christian, you'll have just blessing. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, you know, we'll be prosperous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those same those same egoist kind of themes even come back for us as believers today. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, is yeah. being a Christian going to make my life all good? Or, yeah. And we, 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 we know that that's just as much a failing around this exclusivity of being God's chosen people. Yes. Um, that becomes or leads us to all yeah. experience the curse. Right? And, then, and then the Old Testament is going to have a lot more to say about this. But, but the basic pattern is this. You obey, you'll be blessed. You disobey, you'll be cursed. Um, and indeed, um, if you if you continue not to obey, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law which are written in this book, you shall be plucked off the land which you are entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there, shall, there you shall serve other gods. Of wood and stone, and neither you nor your that which neither you nor your fathers have known. So this is this is the ultimate curse: is exile, being taken out of the land. Okay, um, and then it's all hopeless, right? Apparently not. There's still promise of restoration if you repent. So you come to uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and he says, when all these things come upon you, and you call them to mind of, uh, among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and you obey his voice in all that I command you this day, with all your, your heart, with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will fetch you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that 
you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So this is, so even if you've been sent, you've disobeyed so much that you've gone out into exile, there's still opportunity for repentance and God will bring you back and restore you um, in, in the land that he gave to your fathers. And I think that's been very politicized. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're a long ways from that. <laughs> we're, we're a long ways from that. Uh, but I'm wanting you to get the um, the, the uh, paradigm, I suppose, uh, of, 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 of how this is working. Because it's going to be important for how some of the Old Testament is written. So when... Um, <coughs> The, 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 the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, for example, scholars refer to these as Deuteronomistic history, by which they mean history written from this perspective. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. And ultimately, you go into exile. Why did we go into exile? Remember, that was one of the questions when, when we're in Babylon. Why, why did we get here? Well, books of kings will tell you, you got here because of disobedience in various forms. Okay. In, some, so, in some churches, they really, if you're not wealthy, power, and prestige, yeah. you're, not, you're not following. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, other parts of scripture will come in there, like the book of Job, for yeah. example. <laughs> it's going to be very important. Um, but I don't know if you notice this line, the Lord will circumcise your heart. I don't know if that twigs is rather, yes, it will be. Um, this is going to become important, actually, in the New Testament. At the end of Romans chapter 2, Paul has a, converse, has a discussion about who is a true Jew. And the true Jew is not one who is circumcised physically, but someone who is circumcised in their heart. What's he referring to? This. He's referring to this. What does that imply? It's implying that the way Paul sees what's happening in Jesus Christ is a return from exile. Yeah, so these, these stories inform, uh, they get referred to again and they inform how the story goes on. Okay? time uh, to finish off I want to look at some uh, some topics in particular so we've done a survey here before uh, now I want to focus in on some key topics uh, creation is one um, I want to look at the idea of covenant and we'll look at the idea of well, not the idea but we'll look up law and worship so those uh, 
you'll see those outlined in the uh, notes that you've got. Um, can I just ask now, who tried to access these notes online and couldn't? I couldn't figure out access to nothing online. So I think maybe what I'll do is I'll just email you the PDFs, the, uh, PDFs and not worry about this. Uh, so um, if you've signed up, if you've signed up online, I'll, I'll have your email address. And if you haven't, do give me your email address, and then I can I can include you in that. Yeah. I just have one question. Can you tell me what the letter A and E stands for? Oh, I'm sorry. Ancient Near Eastern. 